The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. The scripture this morning is going to come from Psalm 119, verses 97 through 104. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the age, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than the honey to my mouth. Though your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. And um, this weekend, um, we have had an incredible time together. Yesterday, we had a seminar that um, a man by the name of Art Perea led, and it was amazing. He was telling his story of um, recognizing and realizing at about age 11 that he was same-sex attracted or gay, and then his experience of um, uh, coming out to his uh, parents and uh, really on up. Uh, the, the wounds that he bore <laughs> through that, um, but also a time of great healing where he uh, chose a life of celibacy under the conviction of God's uh, commandments and, and the Bible's teaching and uh, how uh, God never um, calls us to second best. He always calls us to a life of flourishing. That's what his commandments are. It's a life of flourishing. It's not a life of deprivation. Um, and so uh, this morning, he spoke to uh, our Sunday school class, adult Sunday school class, and gave a biblical, um, a biblical teaching on uh, LGBTQ, uh, filled in a number of questions. And today, uh, he is coming to bring our sermon. And, uh, you know, I said this in uh, Sunday school, but I, you know, I just can't thank Art enough for his vulnerability um, and just for pouring into this church family, I already have received emails. Yes. Yes. You're already a fan favorite at Downtown Church, Art. Uh, so I'm going to invite my Brazilian brother up uh, to bring God's word. Let's give him another round of applause and welcome to Downtown Church. Thanks, buddy. Good morning. It is a gift to be here with you this morning uh, for a few reasons. First of all, I was a pastor for 10 years, and I really miss getting to teach God's Word. Um, I do seminars or trainings all the time, but getting to just open up Scripture with the church is beautiful, so that's an honor. Um, but really, I've got to thank y'all for being in Memphis, because I've never been to Memphis before. <laughs> wow. I mean, what a beautiful city. I have been so charmed. And I don't like cities. Like, this is not me being nice to you. I don't say this to people. I don't like cities. I'm like, usually like, get me out of here. Um, but I have just been so charmed, not just by the city, but by your clear love for the city and for your neighbor. It is so evident as I talk with y'all. Um, being with downtown has just been fantastic. Y'all love Jesus. And you love the people around you because you know Jesus loves the people around you. 
I've been so humbled by it. Um, and I do, I promise you, your staff did not pay me to say this, um, but y'all have some of the best church staff I've ever gotten the privilege to work alongside. <laughs> Yesterday, uh, Richard took me to lunch. I had Central Barbecue because I needed barbecue if I was going to be here. Um, I had some Vice and Virtue coffee, which I'm a coffee snob, so that really spoke to my heart. Um, but we also got a chance to walk by the Civil Rights Museum, and I found myself tearing up this morning as I walked from Central Station Hotel, where I was saying to Vice and Virtue, um, just thinking of the holy history these streets have and the beautiful work of God that this community has been a part of. Um, so thank you, too, for honoring that history that you've inherited by being a church here in the city. I've been moved by your faithfulness to God's good work. Um, now, if you've been around for my Saturday seminar or Sunday school this morning, you already know a little bit about me. I do get paid professionally to speak about sexuality in public, so a lot of strangers know a little bit about me. Um, and I'll introduce myself a little bit more in a second, uh, but I just want to say something before we get started. We're going to be talking about sex and sexuality today, and that can be really uncomfortable. It's one of the reasons as a church, I think we tend not to talk about it very much, um, because it makes us a little antsy, it's uncomfortable, it's tense, um, especially when we talk about the LGBTQ community, it feels like it's easy to offend anyone in the room, no matter which direction you go with it. And here I am, a stranger, <laughs> um, coming to open up God's word with you. What we need today is the Holy Spirit of God to guide us, to convict us, and to encourage us in all truth. And the good news is that we have that. That we have the promise from the Spirit, from God himself, that he guides us, convicts us, and encourages us. Um, so I'd love to pray with us real quick. Spirit, uh, we just ask you to convict, you to encourage, you to strengthen. Um, Lord, I believe today we will touch on topics that can cause shame. Would your spirit protect us from the lies of the enemy that lead to shame? Would you protect our hearts from lies? Would you establish us and root us in your truth, Lord? By your spirit's name, amen. Um, like Richard said, I'm Art Pereira. I am 31 years old. I work in a ministry called Revoice. I do a lot of work with the LGBTQ community and the church. Um, usually I'm helping same-sex attracted folks or LGBTQ folks figure out how to navigate their faith, and I'm helping churches and parents um, learn how to walk with LGBTQ or same-sex attracted folks in their lives. Uh, I'm also celibate. I've committed myself to a life of singleness. Yesterday, someone asked me why I wear this ring. Um, it's because after I get a fresh haircut, I have to discourage people. So the ring helps me do that. <laughs> but the reason I'm celibate is because I am, in fact, gay. Um, I've been exclusively attracted to my same sex for as long as I can remember. And when I read scripture, I don't see a faithful way for myself to pursue Jesus and pursue a same-sex marriage. Um, if you uh, did not attend the Sunday school this morning, I gave a little bit of a biblical theology of sexuality. If you'd like to hear that, it was recorded, so I'm sure they can get that to you. Um, but that's kind of where I'm coming from. And maybe you're already uncomfortable. Maybe you're uncomfortable because you don't agree with me and you theologically support gay marriage. My view might seem hateful or bigoted. Um, maybe you're uncomfortable because I just said the word gay from a church stage. And you've never heard that happen before. Um, and that's all right. We as the church need to step into uncomfortable topics because this needs to be where we seek truth. 
Um, when we don't talk about things, where do we learn? Google. You know, and I, I have spent too many years of my life away from the church and learning by myself, learning in isolation and learning with electronic resources that don't love me. We get to learn as a church. We get to walk towards Jesus together. Um, if you haven't heard my story yet, my seminar yesterday was recorded, and you're welcome to listen to that if for some reason you're like, I really need 40 minutes of this stranger's life. But I will give you the two-minute version. Um, I realized I was attracted to men and only men when I was 11. For five years, my parents forced me to go to church and youth group every week, and I was mad at God. Because I wanted to know God, I started becoming really curious about this God my parents had started to believe in. But I was convinced that the church had no room for gay folks. See, my church was an awesome church, um, but people weren't really kind about gay people. The forgiveness and love of Jesus, that was only for people who sinned in the right ways. A lot of us sinned in the right ways. Gay folks, they didn't. I didn't. Um, but I ended up giving my life to Jesus when I was 15 on a youth retreat. The Lord got a hold of my heart in a real and powerful way. And so I looked for ways to follow Jesus as a young gay man. And the only resource I could find were from what we call the ex-gay movement. Um, these were ministries that preached that you would certainly be healed of your same-sex attracted or delivered if you obey God. And I followed this way of thinking for about eight years, praying and fasting. Um, I was probably one of the few 16-year-olds who knew who fasted from food in his phone every Wednesday because I was going to get healed. I dated a few women um, only to have a crisis of faith when I was 24. See, I hadn't been healed. And as God had invited me into a more honest examination of my heart and of scripture, years of praying and wrestling about this led me to understand that God, in fact, had not asked me to become heterosexual, to walk in holiness. But instead, he was instructing me, as he instructs all of us, to pick up my cross daily and obey Jesus. My study of scripture and my prayer life have only further convinced me of what we call the traditional sexual ethic, uh, a view that says that marriage is for one man and one woman, and all sex is to pl take place inside of such a marriage. And I've become convinced that that is true, but more than that, I've become convinced that God has a good, beautiful, and full life for me, a celibate gay man, as I honor God's sexual commands. Now, don't get me wrong, it can be heavy, and it can be difficult, but I'm convinced that God has a lot of good for me, which is actually why I'm here this morning. I'm here this morning because I'm convinced that God has a lot of good for you, too. God's word about sex and sexuality is a good word, but we sometimes don't treat it like that. We might say that biblical sexuality is outdated, that it's bigoted. Um, we feel as if God might be out to judge us or to condemn us or to control us. We act like God enjoys depriving us of fun. I'm here today to talk about sexual obedience, and really I'm going to talk about obeying Scripture in general. But friends, before we get into that, I, can't, I just want to say why we obey is just as important as what we obey. So do me a favor, for a second, let's forget about what. Let's forget about whatever you think the Bible might say about you and your sexuality or your sexual sin, whatever your experience might be. Let's put that down for a second. Maybe for you the struggle isn't even in sexual sin, it's in other areas. For now, let's ignore the what we are obeying. 
let's ask ourselves one question. Why does it even matter what the Bible says? Because why we obey is just as important as what we obey. Um, by the way, I do want to clarify, Adriana was correct when y'all have um, my blessing into call and response. I grew up in a Brazilian multi-ethnic church in Newark, New Jersey, and then the Lord called me to the white suburbs, and every week I'm like, can we do a pulse check? Are y'all alive? Um, so yeah, I, I free you into that. Um, now, some of us believe that we have to obey so that God doesn't punish us. This is a view I run into a lot. Um, we're waiting for God to rain down holy fire every time we see someone attractive. Maybe you have a bad habit you just can't quite break. And you can't pray lately because you're like, well, I got to get rid of that before I pray. God doesn't want to talk to me right now. Maybe your child or someone you love is LGBTQ. I get this one a lot. And you're just so scared for their soul. You're terrified that they're going to decide to date someone of the same sex and they're going to be lost forever. Sometimes we obey because we fear God. And we fear hell. One time, I was, a, I was a youth pastor up until last year. One time, I was working on a sermon at a Starbucks, and a guy about my age walks in, and I happened to look up as they called out his order. I said, oh, he's really good looking. And my next thought was, oh, man, God must hate me. I was so filled with shame about this pervasive attraction in my life. I was tormenting myself anytime I thought someone was even good looking. I wasn't even sexualizing them. I carried that self-hatred around. What's the problem with that? Well, first of all, it doesn't work. Um, none of us can shame ourselves into freedom. None of us can shame ourselves into integrity. None of us can shame ourselves into obedience. In fact, psychologists have done studies on this very topic. Christian psychologists have done studies on this very topic, understanding what helps us break habits, and specifically in the practices of unwanted sexual behavior. And they find that shame is actually a driving force the more you shame yourself, the more you will go back to what made you ashamed in the first place. You will never shame yourself into goodness. It just doesn't work. The more shame you experience and the more shame you give to yourself, the more likely you are to repeat the sinful behavior. Shame and fear isolate us. We become like Adam and Eve, hiding from a very God who is seeking us. As if a couple bushes can go past God's sight. Isolation doesn't work. Shame doesn't work. But secondly, this is contrary to the whole gospel. Romans 8 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're chasing obedience because you are scared of condemnation, my friend, do you know Jesus? Because if you do, you are ignoring the very real life, love, and sacrifice of the Jesus whose name you hold to. This is not about fear. I'm not celibate because I fear hell. I have no fear of hell because the Jesus I know conquered hell. Amen. Scripture says, where, O oh, death, is your sting? There is no sting of hell for me. So why do we bother obeying God? Why do I bother with celibacy? Um, after all, some would say, this is my identity. This is what I feel so strongly. I have felt since I was 11. Why torment myself? 
See, I choose obedience because I believe that you and I are both made good by a good God that has good for us. And I mean a capital G good, a goodness we don't even fathom as broken people. See, when God made us, he said, it is very good. Look back at the Genesis account of creation. Everything was good. The sun, the stars, these beautiful things, the ocean. You ever see a sight in nature and just go, (gasps) God made you and said, it is very good. Far more breathtaking than any mountain. The God of heaven delights in the fact that he made you. And he wants good for you. The only way biblical obedience, including sexual obedience, works is when we understand that God wants our good and instructs us into goodness. God is not a cruel dictator that enjoys controlling you. I mean, think about that view of God. What joy would he get from that? What kind of small, petty, insecure God is that? That is not our king. No, friends, we have a good God who made us good and has good for us. And a good God, like a good parent, like a good teacher, like a good mentor, must instruct us into goodness. David understood this. He says in Psalm 119, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. David, who we can all agree was a broken man, and in fact, a very sexually broken man, but a man who loved God and was seeking the Lord, understood that God's commands are for our good, even when they rub against what we might desire. And David tells us, look, that instruction from God, it's like honey. So before we go any further, I just want to ask you, if God's word isn't honey to you, if it feels controlling, if it feels abusive, if it feels unkind, there's almost no point in the rest of the sermon And I ask you, go be alone with the Lord for a second. Just ask him, who are you? There's nothing I can offer you if your starting place is that God is cruel. That's the first thing we need to seek healing in. But David tells us instruction from God is like honey. Why? Well, we don't always want what's good for us. If you've ever talked to a nutritionist or eaten a sugar-free cookie, you'll agree with me, we don't always want what's good for us. Um, my pastor's wife is diabetic, and so when we go to a small group at their house, there's two desserts, one with sugar, one without sugar. Which one do we eat? We don't always want what's good for us, right? So a good God that wants our good has to give us good instruction around every single area of our life, including our sexuality. If you've ever had a dog, you know that dogs don't always play where it's safe. They have a tendency to run into the road or pick fights with bigger dogs. Very bizarre to me. It's always the little dogs that want to fight. So what do we do? We build fences and we put them on leashes. We establish limits for their safety and protection and thriving. Not because we like to control or abuse our dogs, but because we want their good. So to a good God, draw some limits around our lives. Those limits are like honey. Now, if you've spoken to me at all this weekend, this will not surprise you. Um, but I was a really weird kid. Um, I am, in fact, a weird adult, but I was definitely a weird kid. And one of my little quirks always showed up at my grandma's house. Um, See, grandma had a lot of plants. And she had this one plant in particular. Grandma had this beautiful cactus. Um, And we all know where this is going, right? We all know I absolutely shoved my hand right onto that cactus and started bleeding and started crying. 
but the story doesn't end there because remember, I was a weird kid. And I decided that every time I went to grandma's, I was going to test something. I was going to conquer this human weakness against the cactus. I was going to be the first human in all of history to be cactus immune. And so every time I went to grandma's, the first thing I did was find that cactus and shove my hand directly on it. And so then there would be more blood and more crying. This happened so much, my grandma had to get rid of every cactus she had. My mom and grandma would tell me every time, you can't keep doing this. What's the point? Who is this for? But I didn't quite get it. And I'll be honest, I don't always get it with God either. I don't always see what God sees. I don't always know what God knows. And I've learned over the years that some of my desires, they're not the best for me. But the good news is that someone I love and who loves me does know what's good for me. And not just what's good for me, but what's best for me. There's a good God who made me good and has good for me. I found myself at a retreat center a few years ago begging God for wisdom about my sexuality. See, I couldn't get past my pervasive same-sex attraction, and I needed to know what to do. As I've mentioned before, I do believe in what we call the traditional sexual ethic, that marriage is for one man and one woman, and only sexual acts uh, that are good for us are inside of that marriage. But what do I do with that? What's the plan for a young gay man seeking to love Jesus with all his heart? See, Scripture seems to hold up two paths as good and beautiful. Again, I talked about this more in depth this morning. Heterosexual marriage or singleness. And I got to tell y'all, I'm 31 today, and I really thought that by 31, I would be married with 2.5 kids, a white picket fence, a dog named Spot, the whole shebang. The American dream. I'm an immigrant kid. I was born in Brazil. My folks were immigrants. Um, by 31, you're supposed to be a doctor with a wife and have beautiful grandchildren. To have none of those things. Uh, my parents are still forgiving me. It's going to be okay. See, singleness was not in my plan. It wasn't in my parents' plan. This isn't a thing we do. Singleness felt like a cruel joke. I tried. I went to scripture and I was like, man, there's got to be something wrong with this. I, I grew up in the, the homophobic church that hated me, that didn't know how to talk to gay people. Maybe that's it. Maybe there's actually something, these other friends of mine, these friends of mine who believe in gay marriage, they look at scripture, they can see it. Y'all, I, I couldn't see it. I don't think there's a faithful way to interpret scripture that lands us there. So as I land on singleness, I went back to the Lord and I, I went back to everything I know to be true about God, that God is good, that God made me good, that God has good for me. I'm not some cosmic mistake. God doesn't think my suffering is funny, but has compassion for me. And sitting at that retreat center through tears, I told the Lord, okay, I just... I need you to be as good as you say you are, but I trust you. I'm not celibate because I'm scared of going to hell. I've belonged to Jesus since I was 15. In a grander sense, I have always belonged to Jesus. Scripture makes it clear. Christ has claimed me and I'm set. I'm celibate because I want the best life I can possibly have. And if God is as good as we say, then God's good options are our best options. Whether or not we care about the Bible and what it says about our lives has everything to do with who God is and who we believe him to be. Celibacy wasn't my plan. A life without romance or sexual intimacy, that was not my plan. But then again, I'm the kid who thinks it's fun to touch a cactus. So my plan isn't always what's best. Sexual obedience only matters if we believe God is good and has good for us. 
And if you struggle to believe that, I invite you to spend some time in prayer and ask God, who are you? But if we do believe this, then sexual obedience matters a lot. So what are we obeying? I don't have time to get into every possible sexual command we see in scripture. There's a lot of them. But I've mentioned the core. As I've said, that I think what's best for us is a marriage between one man and one woman for all sexual intimacy to take place in that marriage. Um, For my same-sex attracted and LGBTQ friends, we do see consistently throughout Scripture that we are instructed away from same-sex sex. There are five key passages in that. I taught about it this morning, and it is the theme throughout Scripture when we talk about same-sex sex. It's not good for us. Sinful. There are a few modern speakers who propose that Romans 1, 1 Corinthians, and 1 Timothy aren't talking about the sorts of relationship we see today, consensual and committed, um, but rather other abusive relationships. Again, we discussed this further this morning. I just don't think that's faithful to what the author intended and his cultural understanding. So that's it, right? No sex before marriage. We're used to this conversation kind of ending there. That's what the church does. Don't do this. Now go away and don't do it. And when you think about doing it, feel dirty. But to have a full vision of God's heart for our sexuality and our human relationships, we have to think about all of God's instructions for us, not just sexual instruction. See, I think we think about sexual obedience poorly because we kind of box it off as this one little part of our lives and we just figure it out alone without talking to anybody about it while feeling all of our shame, barely even praying about it. But instead, the whole law of Christ is tied together. Everything Jesus calls us to, he calls us to as one. So it's important to understand that when we think about sexual obedience, we have a lot more in scripture than a list of no's. If all God had for me is don't do this, my life would kind of be miserable. It would be a rough word from the Lord. But consider this passage in Mark 10, starting at verse 29. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and field, along with persecutions, and then the age to come, eternal life. Jesus has always made it clear that in following him, we're going to have to give some things up. Pick up your cross, count the cost, die to yourself. But he doesn't leave things there. In Mark 10, he tells us that what we lose for him, we will gain back a hundred times in this life and in the life to come. For the celibates like myself, that's life-changing because Jesus says that as I lose sexual intimacy in marriage, he will give me back more intimacy, more beauty, more relationship, more fullness. And I can tell you with honesty, that's been true for me. Honestly, I didn't really buy it. But I have watched God bless my life, fill it with rich, full, and beautiful relationship. With spiritual friendships and family relationships, people who walk with me and fight for me. And yes, friends, for you too, for the ways in which following Jesus will mean giving up things that, frankly, maybe just appeal to you. Or for the ways in which our sexual vices comfort us. As you lose that comfort, Christ is calling you to a higher comfort, a better comfort, a real comfort. For the ways in which we have to die to ourselves to honor our spouses, Christ is inviting us into richer, fuller, more beautiful marriages for the ways in which honoring Jesus isolates us from the broader culture and we look crazy, Christ promises to give us more community and more belonging than we could ever know elsewhere. And he calls all of us, each and every single one of us, to two consistent themes, chastity and community. 
Every single person in this room is called to chastity and community. Whether you're married, whether you're single, whoever you are, you are called to chastity and community. And chastity is simple enough. It's the pursuit of a life of sexual integrity. First Thessalonians says it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Now, for those of us feeling pangs of shame at reading that, let me remind you, God has good plans for you. The instruction here isn't out of anger or shame, but out of hope, out of a desire to see you in something better, something more beautiful. But for all of us, this means avoiding lust in all its forms. Lust isn't good. It's not good for us. It's not good for our community. That's true for all of us. But Christ calls us to chastity and community. In fact, it might be better to say that Christ calls us to chastity in community. Go read the New Testament and see how we're commanded to live in community. Uh, Galatians 6 says to carry each other's burdens. James 5.16 says confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Romans 12 says, So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. I to you and you to me. We don't get to opt out of that. If one part suffers, all the other parts suffer with it. If I'm suffering in my pursuit of sexual obedience, that's your problem. You don't get to say otherwise. Jesus says it so. But, so why are we talking about community when we're supposed to discuss sexual obedience? Because real biblical chastity was always meant to take place in community. Do you know why so many of my single friends are on hookup apps? It's not because this new generation is more sinful than folks 20 years ago. It's because they're lonely or because they're anxious. I mean, post-pandemic, our rates of depression and anxiety have skyrocketed. We're also living in a world with less support, less intimacy. So when you've had an anxious day and you need some intimacy, as you learned last week, it is much easier to get on a hookup app than to call someone from your church and say, man, I just feel discouraged today. I need a hug. There's a lot of us who would do one of those, not the other. We need support. We were called to it. I venture to guess that for you, sometimes lust is easier, my married friends, sometimes lust is easier than the hard work of real marital intimacy. Have you even had some asexual friends, friends who don't really experience any sexual desires, who end up choosing to pursue premarital sex just to prove to themselves they can have connection? Just to feel like they can keep someone around. Isolation is not good for us. In fact, we need the community God has called us to. And we hate this because in modern America, we are so proud of how individual and responsible and self-contained we are. I take care of my stuff, you take care of your stuff. That's how we contribute to a good society. Be responsible, be independent. You will not see that thinking anywhere in the New Testament. That is a lie we have believed about how we function, especially as adults. It's me and Jesus. I heard so many times growing up, you just gotta talk to God. It's just you and God. Like, you don't have to confess to anyone else. You only confess to Jesus. No, scripture says confess to each other. I was lied to by my pastors. They said confess to God, they were wrong. Otherwise, scripture is wrong, and I don't know. My pastor's got to take that up with the Lord. We have bought this lie that it's just us and Jesus when it's us together. It's us and Jesus. We were never meant to pursue chastity individually. We are called to chastity in community. And our marriages need support for that to happen. Our single lives need support for that to happen. 
We all need each other. So what do we do as I close? The first thing I want to invite you to do with me is to dream with God. Hebrews says, let us boldly approach the throne room of grace. My friends, for too long, we have hidden away aspects of ourselves from the God who would guide us, love us, and empower us. We are so scared of God's judgment, we learn our theology on TikTok and Google. We will Google things we would never say in prayer. Stop. What if there is a God who made you and wants good for you? And what if he wants to meet you in the very question you're convinced is separating you from him? Stop running. Boldly approach the throne room of a God who deeply loves you and say, okay, here's what I'm dealing with. What are we doing? If you find yourself experiencing same-sex attraction, you're LGBTQ, Maybe you have a lack of attraction and you're unsure what to do. Good news, God has not abandoned you in this. You're invited to dream with God, to seek the best path cut out for you. Not to figure it out anxiously alone. If your marriage is struggling, if you feel stuck, God has not left you. He's not waiting for you to repent to one day love you again. He loves you now. He's with you now. He will guide you now. Dream with God for every area of your life. And let's pursue those dreams together. None of us are commanded to sexual integrity and isolation. James says it in the church community, in walking with God and his body, that we find freedom. After all, James says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Some of us are so terrified of rejection, we hide away our problems worried about the, uh, the judgment we'll receive. And I can't promise you won't judge. I'm an openly gay man in conservative churches. Judgment comes. It's not comfortable. Every day there's a little bit of discomfort. There will be judgment. There will also be love. There will be community. There will be people who fight for you. We're worried we are doomed to die alone because we don't experience sexual attraction the way others, others do. Or we're worried no one will want to be friends with us once we know we're same-sex attracted because somehow that makes us gross or more sinful than others. It doesn't. We're worried that our married friends will judge us because our marriage isn't perfect. That one, I get that one a lot. I can't tell you all how many times I, uh, I talk places and married couples want to talk to me after because they just feel like they can't say anything to anyone else. They don't want everyone thinking their marriage is a disaster. It's not. You're just people who need support from the community. God made you like that. You have never met someone whose life, including their sexuality, is not impacted by the fall. We need each other. We need to walk together towards Jesus. God has made us for that. It is good and true and beautiful that we should do so. And God's dreams for our lives, sexually and otherwise, only make sense in community. My friends, God has more good for you in your sexuality and in every area of your life than you could ever imagine. He is not withholding from you. I promise he wants to give you back a hundred times as much as anything he would ask for you to give up. Would you join me in dreaming God's dreams? And let's dream together. Let's pray. Sweet Jesus, I don't know what your dream is for this church. 
I don't know what your dream is for the individuals here, for how they'll carry out their relationships, their life, their need for intimacy, their beautiful call to connection. I don't know what they'll have to surrender in pursuing sexual obedience or other obedience. But I know that you will be better than whatever they give up and that you will give them back more than they could ever lose. So God, I bless my friends with boldness, with the full reception of their grace. Lord, I pray that you would loose any ties of fear, shame, and isolation, and instead establish the gospel truth that they are loved and welcome in your body and that you have good plans for them. Would you dream for us, God, and would you help us dream with you? Your name, amen. Amen, amen. Let's receive the benediction. Dear friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. Go in peace, dear friends.